Welcome People First Leaders. This is a special episode of the Leading People First podcast, where you get to listen in on the honest and uncomfortable conversations from our latest Leaders of Equity, Allyship, and Diversity event. If you are ready to take a stand and take action against hate, violence, inequity, and injustice in our society, you are not alone. The Leaders for Equity, Allyship, and Diversity host weekly events to allow leaders to come together, discuss, learn, share, and activate to make a difference in the world. Listen to the end to get more information on how you can join us at our next live event. In this episode, we are joined by Mark Travis Rivera, a Nico White consultant, who will share his story on disability and intersectionality. So get ready to come together and lead. Let's dive on in. All right, my loves, I'm going to get going here with uh, a quick bio about Mark, although it won't be that quick because very accomplished for, uh, I'm not going to say how many, but not that many years. So <laughs> uh, our friend Mark Travis Rivera was, is, goodness, an award-winning professional storyteller, whether it's through verbal or written communication or through dance, telling stories is at the core of Mark's purpose in life. A graduate of William Patterson University of New Jersey, Rivera Mark, I'll just say, earned a bachelor's in women's and gender studies with a minor in public relations. He is a member of the Gamma Zeta chapter of the IOTA 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 National Society, uh, Honor Society for Women's and Gender Studies, and Chi Alpha Epsilon, the Educational Opportunity Fund National Honor Society. In 2013, he received the Student Government Association's Lifetime Achievement Award for his commitment to the William Patterson community. In the same year, he was honored with the Campus Pride Voice in Action Award for his work with the LGBTQ community. More recently, he won the Audrey Lord Award for Social Justice from John Jay College of Criminal Justice, uh, CUNY. Uh, do you say CUNY or? I don't even know. Uh, Oh, thank you. Uh, Mark is the youngest person to found an integrated dance company in the United States, Marked Dance Project, a contemporary company for dancers with and without disabilities. Established in March 20, 2009, made its debut at Rutgers University. The company has also performed for the Silk City Summer Arts Festival um, and about 12 other ones, including NYU. Uh, through the Marked Dance Project, uh, Mark, has worked with choreographers such as Maureen Glennon, Caitlin Trainer, Stacey Tookie, uh, Todrick Hall, what? Um, Tice Diorio, and Marinda Davis. After 10 years of remarkable dancing, Mark decided to dissolve the dance project and continue working as an independent choreographer. Uh, his poem, Love Letters to Myself, excerpts was published in a new anthology between new gay poetry his between colon new gay poetry his essay marking my own path an inner city dreamer was published in the anthology i am here the untold stories of everyday people his writing has also been published in a uh, numerous uh, numerous publications including the herald news the star ledger and the huff post his debut collection, Drafts, an Imperfect Collection of Writing, was published in August of 2017 through Amazon. He resides in the Bay Area, California, and works for Nico White Consulting. So without further ado, 
uh, incredible person. Take it away. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah, and all the folks at LEAD for welcoming me and, and inviting me to be here tonight. And thank you, everyone who showed up to be here. I want to give a special shout out to my colleagues, Lindsay and Lauren DK um, from Nico White Consulting for being here, and everyone else who showed up. And thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, my name is Mark Travis Rivera, as Sarah said. My pronouns are he, him, and his. I am wearing a plaid black and white top off the shoulder um, with a black scarf over my hair, uh, black short hair, and I am wearing makeup with a red lip. So that's my image description for those who may need it. And I guess I'll just start about sharing my story. My bio talks about my accomplishments, but I think um, the one thing that connects everyone is failure, right? So we all have failed at something. And I think that how we bounce back, how we we remain resilient in the face of failure really defines who we are. And so I am really excited to, um, you're welcome Yvonne. I'm really excited to um, be here tonight and share my story about, I went from being an activist, storyteller, artist to a DEI coordinator at Nico White Consulting. I've been there um, for about seven weeks. This is coming up my, wrapping up my seventh week with the company. So I'm relatively new to the company, um, but I'm not new to doing the work, um, which I think is really exciting to be able to do the work and, and change perceptions. Um, I purposely titled this When They See Me, um, because I think oftentimes when people see me, they can't tell my gender. They don't know if I'm a woman or a man. They get confused. Um, they often think about misgendering me or giving me the wrong pronouns. So while I identify as a Latinx disabled queer gender non-conforming man, I am not offended if I'm mistaken to be a woman. Um, and I think that women are among the strongest and most brilliant people I know. And I'm so fortunate to be mistaken for one. So I don't get offended by that. I'm really secure in my manhood. And so uh, I guess I should start from the beginning, my disability, I was born disabled. I was um, born premature. My mom gave birth to me at five and a half months. I weighed one pound and I was born in 91. And so what happened back then, medication and medicine was way more advanced than it was back in the day. So I was able to survive, thankfully. And because of that, I developed several palsies. So it affects me from the hips down. And if you ever saw the movie Forrest Gump, I used to walk and run like that. But I had surgery and physical therapy for about 15 years. And then I started to discover dance later in high school. I went to performing arts high school for creative writing and I minored in dance. Dance really fundamentally shifted my life. And it was the first time that I realized because of my disability, because of my otherness, I wasn't going to have the same opportunities as other people. So I had to create my own opportunities. And that's why I started Mark Dance Project 10 years ago or 10 plus years ago, because I wanted to dance and choreograph and perform. And I knew as a disabled person in New Jersey, there was no opportunity for me to do that. There was no real opportunity for me to grow as an artist in that way. And so I created an opportunity for myself to develop, but also to help other disabled dancers grow and develop. I didn't seek to become the youngest person in the US to ever do the integrated dance work. Um, I didn't seek to make that kind of history. Um, it was started really a selfish desire, you know, to just dance. And what quickly, it became quickly, I realized quickly that it became larger than me. I was working with people with autism, working with people who were visually impaired, working with people who you had spinal bifida, who use wheelchairs, who use crutches and canes and prosthetics. And I realized that my calling in this life was to be a storyteller. And so I invested my time and energy in telling stories through movement, telling stories through poetry, through essays, through writings, and through public speaking. And so that's kind of how I developed a career for myself. 
And it's interesting, um, you know, when we think about titles or, or the formal roles that we take up in DEI spaces, you know, I think that's very, it can be very hierarchical. Uh, it can be very uh, elitist in structure. And so I try not to think too deep about my title and think more about the work. And when people see me, they realize they can't box me in because I'm not just one thing. I am many things. And I think that what people need to understand about intersectionality in particular is that I am not one thing over another. I am all the things at the same time in totality, right? I exist, thrive, and live at the intersections of multiple identities. And I'm proud of that. And I don't pick my Latino-ness over my crippledness, over my queerness, over my gender non-conformingness. I am all of those things in one. And I embody who I am, my spirit and my in my heart and my mind. I just embody that. And so I, I want to encourage people who are listening, whether you're watching the recording or in the room, the Zoom room tonight, how can you embrace your potential and embrace your truth and your authenticity? How can you do that? And I want you to think about that tonight as we talk and ask questions about how we can embrace ourselves. That was the premise of my TEDx talk. It was embrace yourself, embrace your potential for success. I have had no success in my career had it not been for the fact that I chose to embrace who I truly was. Authenticity is a DEI tip that I, I sent out, I think my first week at Nico White Consulting, where it was, um, Authenticity is a daily choice to show up and be seen for exactly who you are. Leaders and organizations need to foster in an environment where authenticity is not only expected, but embraced. And so I wanna encourage everyone who's listening tonight um, to really embrace your authenticity. That is your superpower. That is, that is really the gateway um, to your path and your purpose. Why were you here? Why were you brought here? It was no mistake that I was born disabled. It was no mistake that I was born queer and Latinx and gender non-conforming, right? It was no mistake. And so that wasn't a mistake. What was the why? Simon Sinek always says, "What start with the why. Why were you created? Why are you here? Whose life can you impact by living your life authentically? And so um, that is something I want to just leave you all with. And I want to have a discussion with all of you tonight, so I don't want to talk too long. Um, but that's the premise of who I am, my story. And I'll, I'll share, you know, with DEI, my, my way into Nico White Consulting quickly. I applied on a Friday. Um, Lauren called me at 6 something in the morning uh, on a Monday, that following Monday, because uh, I'm on the West Coast and she is... Um, She's on the East Coast. And so um, <laughs> so she called me at six something in the morning and it was like, I thought it was a spam number. So I wasn't an answer. I actually didn't answer. I let it go to voicemail. And then she texted me. She was like, this is not spam. This is Lauren from Nico White Consulting. We'd like to do an interview with you. And so my first interview with Lauren was on a Tuesday, the following day. My second and third interview was on a Wednesday with Natasha and Nika. Um, and then by Saturday, Nika offered me the job. So it was a whirlwind process and I'm so fortunate to, um, I'm so fortunate to have been given this opportunity and to be working in the DEI space full time. Um, prior to that, I worked in higher education doing communications and marketing. And um, after that, I did a program management for a dance company that I work with disabled and non-disabled dancers. So I went from higher ed to arts nonprofit to now the private sector. And so um, Yvonne and I were talking briefly before the event started, how communications and marketing really helps us 
frame and communicate and tell stories about DEI in a way that gives us an advantage over other people who don't have the marketing background, because it's all about storytelling. And so I really appreciate that connection with Yvonne. So thank you. So I'm going to open up the discussion. I think, Sarah, you have a few questions you want to kick us off with. So I'm going to open it up to you and then the rest of the floor. I do indeed. Um, the brilliant Yvonne actually uh, said a question that is one I had written down for myself to ask. So I'm going to start with uh, what is the biggest challenge for you living in all your intersectionalities when so many people are most comfortable with labeling? Um, and to piggyback off of that, I just said, do you, do you tend to highlight certain identities in the moment if it feels, if it feels appropriate? Or do you hold on to all of it all together as a whole? Great question. Uh, so one, I don't hierarchize my identities. I don't say I'm more Latinx than I am disabled or more queer than I am not conforming. Um, I am all those things in equal importance, right? So there's no hierarchy of identities in my life. Um, for others, it's, it's their color or their racial identity is more important than their queerness or the disabled identity is more important than their sexuality and that's okay I'm not judging people um, but for me I know that I could not be the person I am today had it, had it not been for all those identities existing at the same time I don't choose which label or which identity is more important I also show up as my authentic self in every space I enter so what they see first is the makeup the general nonconformity, the dresses the heels the, the nails the nails I just want to point out my nails because I love them too. nice um, and you know that's what they see Right. So, of course, because they see that, that is the first thing that they think of. Then they see my brown skin or my bronze skin and they know I'm a person of color. They hear the last name Rivera and they know I'm Latino or Latinx. And then um, because of my disability, I've had surgery and so much improvements um, in my walking. My disability is not apparent to some people. They just think I have a gay walk or whatever that means. Um, but my disability isn't as obvious. So that is, and I also have mental illness that I deal with. With um, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression about six years ago. And so I have invisible and visible disabilities. And um, in regards to my gender, I mean, I still benefit from male privilege. It's diluted because of my gender nonconformingness. Um, but when I speak, people listen. And I think that's because I was conditioned as a young boy to take up space and to be mindful about when my voice was heard, I demand presence. And not in a way that is patriarchal, but in a way that just, that's how I was conditioned to be a leader, to take up space. And most feminine people or people who identify as femme or um, non-binary or trans, we still have to deal with our social conditioning. So for trans men, for example, some trans men that I know, they don't know how to speak up and take up space because they were conditioned from an early age to be quiet, to be, to be timid, to be um, to not take up so much space, right? That was their gender conditioning. And so I'm always thinking about how to unpack that, how to be mindful of my male privilege and how to be mindful of the fact that my male privilege is diluted because I'm gender nonconforming and queer. So I don't, I acknowledge all of those things at once. Did I answer your question, Sarah and Yvonne? I, you know, it, it answered our question in such a way that we have like all these other amazing ideas now. So, <laughs> I mean, you give and you give extra and I love that. Yeah. I do have a question about, uh, and Miss Lauren DK, I see your awesome question. Um, 
I wanted to follow up on the question we just asked with, um, do you ever get intersectionality fatigue? No, because it's the only thing I know. I don't know what it means to be white, straight, heteronormative, right? I only know what it's like to be in this body, in this spirit. So I don't get fatigued. Do I get fearful? Yes. I am constantly afraid for my safety. The life expectancy for Black trans women is like 36 years old. Um, for gender non-conforming people, for gender queer people, for gender fluid people, their life expectancy is cut shorter because of so much violence that we experience in the, in the community that we live in, in the country, in the world that we live in. So I'm, I just turned 30 last Sunday. And I, if by all metrics, if my life continues to go the way it's going, I will be very fortunate to make it to 36 and beyond because at any point I am a target for violence. So I'm always very hypervigilant, which can be fatiguing, right? To enter spaces and have to be so super aware of your surroundings at all times. You never, that's why I don't like the word safe space. There is no such thing as safe spaces. And I know that that's so popular in DEI spaces. Like you can't guarantee my safety. What you can foster is a space that is brave. Allow people to show up authentically, allow people to show up as their whole selves. And when they do that, when you allow them to be brave with their lives, they will excel. So I don't want safety, I want bravery. So yeah, it's a little tiring and frustrating, but I mean, I'm also privileged. I, have, I make a career doing what I love as an artist, as a storyteller, and it doesn't get any better than that. So if I have to deal with nasty comments or snark remarks or potential physical violence, then listen, I told my mom, I would rather die living in my truth than live a lie. That's that's that. It's not it's not fatiguing, but sometimes it's frustrating. Miss Lauren Decay says, "What is your mindset with dealing with adversity, and how did your experiences as a young man shape you? Being different in North Jersey is not easy, as she was raised there as well." Yeah, Lauren, great question. Uh, so I will say that being resilient, I think being disabled and being born in the conditions in which I was born naturally makes me resilient. It was like, from the moment I took off my first breath, I was fighting to stay alive. So I think that that spirit of survival and resiliency stayed with me. And so now I navigate this world from that lens. I survived being one pound, five and a half months pregnant. My mom gave birth to me. If I can survive the conditions in which I was brought into this world, I can survive anything. And so um, being different in North Jersey wasn't fun. Uh, luckily, I went to Performance High School where people were very different and queer and, um, you know, it was okay to be myself. It didn't make me always popular, but I didn't care about being the popular kid. I cared about being the kid that was true to themselves. So um, I think that was the whole question. Let me just read the chat again, just in case. Um, yeah, you absolutely got it. Yeah. So yeah, that's my, so yeah. You know what, and Carly, I knew she would have something brilliant as well, had a question that kind of um, goes back a little bit to the feeling of, of safety being sort of an illusion. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have a go-to teachable moment for diffusing a potentially unsafe situation or do you just pick your battles? Do you retreat and choose when you are gonna confront that kind of energy? Yeah, I definitely have to assess the situation, right? It's a case-by-case -case basis. So if I'm physically in danger, like if I'm in a space that's physically I'm endangered by, like I remember one time I went to a chicken store in the hood 
well, I grew up in the hood, so I call it the hood, but I grew up in inner city, New Jersey, and um, a guy spat on my, on my feet. He looked at me, he saw the way I was dressed, he looked disgusted, and he spat at me. Um, and I remember the spit landing on my foot. And rather than saying something, I automatically knew it was time to leave the space because I knew if I said anything to this man, it would escalate and it could be potentially dangerous and deathly. So I definitely picked my battles. If it's online, I have no problem like Twitter wars and you know going back and forth in comments. I have no problem doing that. Um, but I have to always be aware of my physical environment because it can turn deadly for people like me. And so I, I definitely choose my battles wisely. And also, um, you know, when it comes to the online trolls, I don't have many of that. Luckily, like I, I haven't experienced much hate or visual, but I have, you know, experienced some of it. And I think that um, what I always tell myself is that it's easy to have Twitter thumbs and flex your muscle. But if you can't say that to my face, if you wouldn't dare say some of the things you say online to my face, then I have to lose sleep about it. My, my favorite researcher, storyteller, uh, Dr. Brene Brown says um, that you have to write a list of people whose opinion of you matters. And that that's the only opinions of people, uh, from, from people that you should care about. So if you're not on my short list of people whose opinions of me matter, then guess what? I don't care. I don't waste my time or energy. I love that. I uh, am probably one of the many here who's going to go write a list after this. You should. Yeah. So I am, I want to take a slight detour into a prescriptive area. Um, I was thinking about things that offend me and I was thinking about the vocabulary around disability. Um, and I apologize for the cringe fest. Um, differently abled, specially abled, challenged, and handicapable um, are very commonly used by people who are afraid to say disabled. And mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to get your idea around how do you have an authentic conversation with somebody who is in fact disabled um, and remain respectful without um, kind of falling back on what are, you know, basically pablum for the masses trying to make it you know acceptable or whatever um yeah. what is your suggestion how do you like to be addressed so i use disabled first language so there's there's two things um one the disabled community is not monolith we are very different and vast disability goes across all genders all races all socioeconomic statuses all sexualities all, did I say genders? I think so. Um, it goes across all of those different identities factors, right? So there's no way that disabled or the disabled or disabled people are all the same. That is an illusion. So um, what I will say is I personally prefer disabled first. I am not a person with a disability. Some people prefer people first. I am disabled. And I disabled is not a dirty word. Say the D word. It's not a dirty word. You can say disabled or disability. And so for me, that's really important because especially now when my disability isn't as obvious, it's really important that I center that because growing up, my disability was very apparent and it really shaped who I've become. I wouldn't have a dance career if I wasn't disabled. I wouldn't have started my own company at 17 years old had I not been disabled. So there's no way I'm getting rid of the disability identity just because people are uncomfortable with the word. And so I would say, call me disabled. That's what I am. And I'm proud of that. Uh, and so what I always tell people is 
ask the people who you're speaking to, well, first of all, disabled people are fully human beings. We have sex, we have autonomy, we have independence, we have freedom of thought, freedom of expression. And so talk to us like you would talk to anyone else. You know, the only thing you have to ask us is one, do you need any accommodations or any access needs? And three or two, whatever you want, you want to count that, um, how would you like to be addressed? Disabled first or person first? And then listen, actively listen. If we spend more time listening to disabled people, we would understand that they're not much different than the non-disabled people, right? And so just listen if you're able. I love that. That's, that's just like super solid advice. You know, a lot of times people talk around those kind of questions, but that was just flat out advice. Okay. So that piggybacks perfectly into my next question, which is, um, I was reading an account today of a woman who started a new job this week. Mm -hmm. Um, and when she walked into the job, there were, uh, construction folks there, cutting her desk down so that it would be appropriately heighted for her wheelchair. And she started crying hysterically and um, had to take a moment. Um, And I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, if you want to consider yourself um, a friend, I don't like to use the word ally all the time, to folks with disabilities and you enter a workplace, right? Or it's a new workplace, What should you look for and how can you ask for accommodations? Um, How can you be a better, you know, advocate basically for your disabled coworkers? It starts similar to what I said about, that's a good question, Lauren. I agree with Lauren, that's a good question. Um, It starts with the same thing that I said just now with the previous question is listen, educate yourself, inform yourself, you know, learn about the American with Disabilities Act and then what that means. Learn about the employee resource groups or the employee assistance program and how that can help people with disabilities or disabled people navigate the workforce. You know, I think what's so interesting is that COVID has made us realize as a society that not only are disabled people capable of working and able to work, but that if they can work from home, they're more likely to be productive and capable employees for your organization. And so I think what happens is that, there was all this, oh, you have to come to the office, you have to come to the office, but the office isn't accessible. Or the office is too far away from you and it doesn't meet your access needs. So, but now everyone's working from home and there's suddenly it's like, oh yeah, we can totally invite disabled people to apply and, and, and hire people who are disabled. And I think Microsoft just launched an initiative um, to hire disabled people and um, to provide work training for disabled people. And so I think COVID has been a silver lining for us. And in the disabled community, we say nothing about us without us. And so my first week or two at at NWC, Nico White Consulting, uh, my new colleague, uh, Ashton Chapman and I launched the Disability Justice Initiative to talk about how we can improve our disability justice at NWC. So one of the first things we started doing was adding image descriptions to all texts. Um, adding image descriptions to newsletter images, um, adding captions to our videos. So these are some of the things that we're doing um, in small ways and implementation in, in staggered ways to make our organization grow better. That if we're going to be a DEI firm, that we have to really show what equity looks like and model that for other people, not only for our clients, 
but for our colleagues. So that's really important. So that brilliantly um, piggybacks again into my next question, which is um, I'm seeing a lot of, I'm gonna say more targeted chatter online mm -hmm. about um, diversity initiatives um, and how leadership needs to be, it needs to both trickle down and trickle up. So with that very vague intro, um, my question is specifically, if you are a leader and you want to foster innovation and you want to make your workspace uh, a place where not only can you hire disabled folks, but they're gonna stay, what specifically can leaders do to foster that kind of environment? Hmm, great question. My gut reaction to that question is to deconstruct what a successful employee looks like, right? If you're going to go from the 9 to 5 p.m., um, white, capitalistic, heteronormative, you know, cisgender expectations of what an employee does, or does look like, then you have failed. Because one of the things about, especially at at DEI spaces is that we should be deconstructing what the work looks like. So what I love about my supervisor, and she happens to be in the room, shout out to Lauren DK, um, is that she's very flexible with me. I live in the West Coast for an East Coast company, so I work 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. Um, there are some days where getting up at 6 a.m. is too difficult, uh, and so she lets me flex my hours, and I appreciate that flexibility. And, and some of you may not think of that as a accessibility need, right? But as a person with a mental illness, sometimes my energy levels are really low. So if I need an extra hour of sleep, it's going to help me be more productive later in the day. So why not give it to me? Why not be flexible? And I think what happens is that um, there is so much stigma attached to disability. It's grotesque. It's the humanizing, right? And so I'm just like, hey, we are fully human beings. And that's why I always say, like, you know, disabled people have sex. Because for some reason that for some reason that totally escapes people's minds. It's like what what uh uh no way how, and I'm like, what do you mean how? Do you ask straight people how they have sex? You know like come on that's a little rude. Um, and so you know I think it's really important that if you want to be a leader in your organization, right? And what I love about Dr. Nika White is that when Ashton and I, who Ashton is the vice president of operations for Nika White Consulting, by the way, and she and I started at the same time along with Christina Gardner, who's in the room. Hi, Christina. Um, thanks for being here. And, um, you know, we had a meeting with Nika before we had a meeting with the full team about our disability justice initiative and what it would mean because it requires resources. And I was honestly so, not only, I mean, I didn't know what to expect because I'm still new to NWC, but I was so happy to see Nika, Dr. White, um, really embrace this initiative both from a fiscal standpoint, but also from a personal, this is the right thing to do. This is the equitable thing to do. And so I want to tell people, you know, it looks different than what you're accustomed to, but it's not impossible to reimagine a world where all people are given same opportunities and equal access. And access, I didn't mean to say access in that, like equal access, but like not just physical access, but like access to opportunity, right? So that's important. I love that. So I privately invited Miss uh, Carly Garcia to discuss her comment with you 
Um, she had a comment about intersectionality and I think it's so important. So Carly, if you would like to unmute and discuss that with Mark or maybe um, repeat it and, and see what his thoughts are, I would love that. Uh, sure. Um, I'm thinking about um, like the reason why we have identity struggles or the reason why we have struggles. And I, I often think about um, like, I'm an educator just for context and I'm constantly down a rabbit hole for, you know, like I'm always like interested in learning about things. And I find it interesting that we live in a, in a world that is kind of always pointing fingers at, at people and making people's lives harder when if you go further for farther enough back in history, you'll see that like those people have always existed. And so we've always been diverse, you know, like diversity is the, is the norm, but like the way that we, the rhetoric around diversity is that it's like not the norm. Like it's not the cis white male, you know, hetero male. So we talk about it in terms of being directly related to like diversity means I am not a white male, rich white land owning male. Like I don't have any direct ties to colonizing other places is the, the content, you know, like the implication. But if you watch like five minutes of a nature show, it's like we're on planet earth and diversity is the norm. There's just so many different things going on in this like fantastically amazing planet. And what bugs me is the, um, is how we as human beings were always categorizing things and creating these hierarchies, which then disenfranchises people. Um, yeah. And when I was thinking about you talking about safety for yourself, I was thinking about how, you know, not so long ago, like there were, you know, the men in parliament in England wore wigs and makeup and high heels. <laughs> And I'm just like, how do we not, like, how do we have selective amnesia about, like, human, I know it's a tall order as an educator to, like, wish that people could have access to just the, the overwhelming amount of information that is available to us. Um, but what you said really kind of hit the nail on the head. And what you're talking about is opportunities and access, right? So... The issue is different people have always existed. And the issue is that some people think that certain people shouldn't have rights. Right. Right? Like you shouldn't be able to have healthcare. You shouldn't be able to have housing. You shouldn't be able to have respect. And that is what I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand. I'm getting a little bit emotional. It's okay. I appreciate your emotions. I appreciate your saying what you're saying, and I want to hold space for you to express your emotions. I just kind of like blindsided myself, um, but yeah. So that's just that's what I've I've been thinking. I've been thinking about that like a lot lately, um, in terms of just you know human history and human behavior and we wouldn't have, there's so many things in, in our life that we appreciate, like the arts and, you know, 
that are directly related to people who have been marginalized. Like we wouldn't have half the things that we have if it wasn't for the, for those, you know, for those people, because, you know, trying to survive in this, in this world forces you to get really, really creative. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I'm just thinking those things out loud um, because I'm not sure if people are having that, that conversation in the D in the DEI space, because the DEI space for the last year and a half has been, has been largely about like, how can companies stay on the right side of history? Yeah. 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 Thank you. I appreciate that, Carly. I appreciate you sharing and opening up and being so vulnerable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, of course. So thank you so much, Carly. You know, you are always in my heart and I, um, what, what this makes me think of specifically is how emotional this issue is for people who have to have to hide parts of themselves because it's not safe. So can we talk a little bit about where you find the bravery to express the parts of you that frankly might set other people off? Where do you find that courage and how can you encourage other people to get there? Um, it's a daily choice. It, it, it goes back to that, that statement I made about authenticity being a daily choice. Firefighters choose every day to get up, go to work, and be brave, right? And they run into fire, and they run into buildings that are on fire to save lives, right? And so, if firefighters can do it every day, we as people can do it every day. You know, I say that I come from a strong line of strong women. That femininity, to me has never been a sign of weakness, despite patriarchy trying to tell us otherwise. What I will say is that it's a daily choice to be brave. And some days are, are easier than others. Uh, Lauren saw me earlier, my hair was a mess. I had no makeup on and I was wearing a tank top and I had no real meetings. And I had a shawl over my, when I had an external meeting with clients. And I was like, well, I'm not gonna show up to the speaking engagement tonight like that. So I glammed up. And I chose to celebrate the fact that I'm speaking tonight to all of you wonderful people in the room and to those watching the recording. And so it's just a choice. It's always a choice. It's always a choice. And for me, my self-expression, my expression of clothing and makeup, it is a performance. Judith Butler, the theorist, gender studies theorist said, gender is performance. And I am a performer. That's in my blood, it's in my DNA. So I'm gonna show up I'm gonna be fabulous and fierce and be unapologetically me. And those that don't like it, don't need to date it, don't need to be friends with it, don't need to work with it, don't need to do any of that. Just keep going. If I'm not your cup of tea, don't take a sip. So, yeah. I'm sorry, I have to come off mute on that one. Can you say that one more time for the people in the way, way back? Yes, I said, if I'm not your cup of tea, then don't take a sip. And that would be a Mark Rivera-ism that Yvonne Olsen will be using. Yeah. If anybody needs a t-shirt, let me know. Yes. (laughs) 
Yeah, I love <gasps> That's that. That's amazing. Thank you. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the Helen Keller thing was mine because in the chat we had a, I have several degrees in history. Um, and there is no disabled presence in the study of history, the academic study of history. What mm -hmm. you have is trauma porn and overcoming porn. Not yes. these are disabled folks who are just living lives, maybe inventing things or writing things. You have people who were committed to the worst asylum in the history of the planet. And then you have Helen Keller. And if she can do it, why can't everybody? Um, and those extremes are ridiculous um, and impossible for people to hold up to. I mean, nobody can live like that. So right. um, that's why it's in the chat. Yeah, no, I will say uh, I'm not your inspiration. But if I can be your motivation, that's great. But surviving and thriving and living my truth doesn't make me a special person. It just makes me human. You know, and so I think so often I hear a lot, Mark, you're so inspiring. And I say, why? Tell me more. And of course they stumble because they're like, uh, uh, uh. And they're like, I, I just thought that was an appropriate thing to say. And I'm like, I don't want to be your inspiration porn. Can I be a possibility model? Sure, I'll take that. I don't be I don't want to be your role model because that's too much pressure, but I'll be your possibility model. I'll show you what's possible when people can show up at their authentic self wholeheartedly, live their truth, and go pursue their dreams. I'll show you what that person can do. And that's why I'm committed, committed to holding the door open behind me or pressing the accessible button because I want more people like me who exist at the intersections of multiple marginalized identities to not only survive, but to thrive. And we can only do that when people stop seeing this inspirational porn and start seeing it as fully human beings. I completely agree with that. I find that um, it, not, to, not to make this about me and I'm, I'm not trying to, but as a fat person, um, when I wear a swimsuit in public, people tell me about how brave I am. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, I just want to get wet. So maybe not. So I appreciate your possibility model. Stop laughing, Yvonne. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I completely appreciate that when people tell you, oh, you're so inspiring for things that in your mind are just a daily task because you got to keep on keeping on. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about saving space for people who just can't keep on keeping on for a moment. Yeah. How do we build a place, especially in a workplace, especially in a workplace for those folks who need to take a sidestep from life for a moment? Yeah, so I'll share openly with this group. Uh, I feel like I'm, I can be brave. Um, I am someone who has attempted suicide. I am someone that dealt with suicide ideation and mental illness. And what I tell people is that life is hard. Forget the queerness and the brownness and the gender nonconformingness and the disabledness. Forget that. Just being human, is, I'm not gonna curse. I told myself I was gonna curse. Being human is freaking hard, okay? And you add, to that by adding all this marginalization and oppression and you add um, poverty and lack of access and all these other things and life gets really difficult. And so what I tell people is that I quit my last job before I had another job lined up 
And I don't have a safety net. I don't have parents that have money. I don't come from wealth. I'm self-sufficient, independent, right? And I live in the most expensive part of the country, the Bay Area. So I said to myself, my mental health can't keep working at this organization. And I tried for a year. I tried to keep going on, pushing through, pushing through, pushing through. And it just got to the point where I said, if I don't leave this job right now, I may not make it to 30. So I left. And a week later, I got a new job at Nico White Consulting. Because my faith, for those who are faithful people or believe in a higher power, told me there is no daring greatly without failure. But there is also no success without daring greatly. So if you have to deal with your mental health, if you have to deal with your mental illness, or you have to deal with circumstances that are really difficult, ask yourself, where would I be if fear was not in the way? What would I do if fear wasn't a, a, a factor? So I left my full-time job, started grad school, applied for other jobs, and that was it. Because my grandmother gave me this advice. And for anyone that knows Puerto Rican culture, you know grandmothers are, are notorious for saying, take care of your family, take care of your, of your mom, take care of this, you're the man of the family, blah, 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 blah. Um, machismo culture, right? And she says, um, I love all the Brittany Brown quotes in the chat. Sorry, I got distracted. Um, <laughs> she gave me this advice once and I want to share it with the group. She said, your only obligation is to yourself and your freedom. So for those of us who are choosing to be in a DEI space, who want to liberate others and make the world a better place for other people, liberate yourself first. Your obligation begins and ends with yourself. You pour into your cup and let it run over. Pour into your cup and let the excess run over and help other people. But if you, my friends, do not take care of yourself, if you don't put that oxygen, oxygen mask on first, thank you, Sophie, um, you will not be able to help others. So your only obligation is to yourself and your freedom. And I want all of you to be free, free to be yourself, free to be authentic, free to be the most loving, badass people you can be. And that means setting boundaries. That means saying no when something doesn't align with your purpose. That means walking away from a job, a person, a relationship, or a situation that no longer aligns with you. So I got really preachy there, sorry. But yeah, that's my, that's my spiel. I mean, I think I'm just gonna go ahead and speak for the room when I say, please continue to preach. <laughs> um, and, and, and I'll add a practicality note to it. You know, DEI work is hard and it's yeah. taxing. And every day you take two steps forward and one step back and it just feels so onerous. So to hear someone be passionate about it makes us all a little bit happier to keep going. Yeah. So maybe you are a possibility model for a lot of people in a way that you never even anticipated. Yeah, maybe. I hope so. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Somebody's roll path of donation plate. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, instead of passing the donation plate, I suggest you connect with Mr. Mark out online. You follow his uh, blog. You read his book. That's how you pass the donation plate for people who yes. need you. That's how you do it. Yeah, and Absolutely. I just put my handle for Twitter and Instagram, Mark Travavera. Feel free to follow me. And if you engage with me, I'll follow you back. Uh, by, if you say, hey, I saw you at the event and I'll follow you back. I'm not one of those people that doesn't follow back. Um, and connect with me on LinkedIn and read my book, read my blog. I have a podcast called Marking the Path. Uh, you can see I like to use my name in my marketing. Uh, it just helps my brand. Um, and if you're well, not so your name's me, a verb. I mean, that's helpful. Yeah, you all have been marked tonight. You didn't even realize it. Um, and so, um, I will say also, if you're not following Nika White Consulting on social media, please do so. Um, Nika is an amazing, uh, possibility model for me. Uh, and I want you all to kind of get in on what she's doing with her organization. It, we're growing fast and we're growing better every day. And so I want to thank my colleagues once again, Christina, Lindsay, and Lauren for being here tonight and everyone else for being here. Um, thank you. I, um, yeah, I, this was so amazing. Um, and I hate to use a, a silly word like amazing, but I am going to use it very specifically in the way that it is meant to be used, which is amazement. Hmm. This delivered so much value to me, to everyone here. I think that probably most of us feel very connected to you personally, um, maybe a little bit more connected to our purpose. Um, and that's exactly what we have always wanted to bring for our folks here on a lead. So I want to thank you so much. Um, I do want to give a shout out to Lauren DK. Um, COVID layoff also kicked me out of my career um, because I was afraid to be without a paycheck. And this is the best part of my life right now. So um, I, I'm right there with you, sister. So um, Mark Travis Rivera. Thank you so much. Do you have anything um, that you would like to share with anyone? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to ask the room. They are willing to unmute themselves and just tell me one thing you took away from tonight's discussion. One word or three words, just something that you're, that you're, you're taking with you after tonight. Because I, I think that's going to help me kind of remind myself when I'm feeling down that this is why I do this work. So I want to know, I'm also from my higher ed, we love doing like little, what, do you, what are your learning objectives? What are your takeaways? So what's your takeaway from tonight? And I'm going to just pick, Lauren, don't kill me. I'm going to pick you first. <laughs> I was hoping you take me first because I want to steal this before anyone else takes it. If you, okay. if I'm not your cup of tea, don't take a sip. And as a single woman, I love that as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I even unmuted myself so I could say it first and you picked <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> Oh, hey, Lizzie, go ahead. What was your takeaway? No, Something that different? was it. And now I, have to, now I have to regroup and think again. <laughs> okay. I'm going to pass it over to Thomas. Well, first of all, thank you, Mark. It's, it was, uh, I just really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us. For me, uh, I, well, I love that, that phrase that uh, Lauren just raised up there. But also, I love the possibility model and the mm -hmm. power that comes, because this has been a, a topic of conversation that has arisen for me a lot in the last couple of weeks around authenticity. So the power of standing in our authenticity and how that unshackles a lot. Nice. I'm gonna pass it to Carly. Um, you said earlier on 
that our identities are not mistakes. And that was really, I mean, it's so succinct, you know, it's, that's what people really need to hear and, and feel like there's only one of you. There will, always, there will only ever be one of you in the existence of the universe. And that is profound. Thank you. I'm going to pass it over to Sophie. There were so many takeaways. Um, a lot of people already said the ones I were thinking of, but another big one for me was when you were talking about um, safe spaces and to not call it a safe space um, because you're, you're so right. Like I never really thought about it that way. Like we can't guarantee everyone's safety, psychological safety, emotional, physical. Um, but what we can try and do is uh, make it a brave space. Um, which I really, really appreciated. So thank you. Yeah, of course. I'm going to pass it to Stacy. I just saw her comment in the chat. So I'm going to pass it to her so she doesn't keep her secret. <laughs> thank you, Mark. My, yeah. my takeaway was take up space. That really resonated mm. with me um, that that was kind of your default. And definitely as a woman, I shrink myself. There's so many takeaways, but that's what really stood out for me. Take up space. Take up space, yes. Lindsay. Okay, I just wanted to say, since Lauren stole my biggest takeaway, that's okay, and it was going to be a hot one. I just want to make sure that I take time to like express my appreciation for you being super authentic and transparent here and just really sharing that piece of you with us and just being who you are authentically. I love that about you. It's one of my favorite things about you. And to just sit here and share that with everyone is not always the easiest thing to do. And I just appreciate that you feel comfortable doing that with all of us. And that even if it is a little uncomfortable, you still share it because you know it's important to somebody. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Lauren Yee, I hope I said that right. Got it. Um, backing a little bit off what Lindsay said I had another thing but I also will say I appreciate I appreciate the, uh, the focus on authenticity I think that it um whether it like I relate to you or not like you being yourself like resonates um and it's a, it gives like an energy to things and it's, it's really great um and the one that I was gonna say or the thing that I stood that stood a lot of things but the thing that stood out to me a lot was um also the safe spaces brave spaces thing because I've actually been thinking about um language and words and trauma responses for people where like oh it's a safe space you're like no no that's not that doesn't do it for me like what you think you're saying is actually not helpful um or this question you're asking in the way you're saying it is really triggering in some way so I appreciate the idea of um other words and phrases that can be used yeah, thank you. Christina Gardner. And now with Kristen next. I am definitely going to take away the, um, I guess the tip that you gave us about writing down the, the names of the people who we really do care, what they think about us. And then, you know, just going back to that list whenever we're, we're feeling um, that heat or that judgment coming from outside of that list, I think um, that's definitely something that I'm going to actively plan to do um, sometime this weekend, if not tonight. So thank you so much for that, Mark. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, Kristen, quickly, because we're, we're over time. So I just want to make sure I get to everyone. Thank you for being you, Mark. Thank you for spouting out everything you spouted out tonight, um, for coming to every space with full authenticity, because it takes more marks in this world 
to, and I'll try not to get emotional, but to, to let the rest of us know that whatever we're doing is okay. And I too was kicked out of my former 20 year career in aviation because, you know, pandemics and aviation, they don't get along so well. Um, but I'm working now, it's fine. Um, so many things. I was working in a document last week and looking for language around disability. That helped me. Thank you. I know what path to go on. And I wish I could channel you to talk to my 17 year old daughter because she's been having a hell of a year for a lot of different reasons. She struggles with mental health. She struggles with ADD and she's had some other issues that she's come up with me recently. And I just listening to you talk and seeing how young you are, I'm not worried about her anymore. Mm. Um, I know that she'll find her path. I just have to keep putting her on there. So just thank you. Thank you. Whoever booked you, whoever, Sarah, if it was you, thank you so much. I am forever indebted and I'm so glad I jumped on tonight and now I'm done. Kristen, I dropped my number, my personal number in the chat. Uh, if you and your daughter ever want to talk, um, please feel free to have her reach out to me. Um, not in a therapeutic way, but in just a, hey, I've been there. Let's talk. Um, so if you want to make a note of that, the number is in the chat. Uh, and I would just ask that you text me before you call so I answer your phone your phone call. Uh, I believe Lauren uh, Lauren DK actually was supposed to speak last week originally, and the original day was last week. And then Lauren DK asked me to step in. Uh, she was unable to, for other commitments, to be able to be there. Um, and so I want to thank Lauren and Sarah for coordinating and planning and allowing me to step in and be here tonight. I think nothing happens by mistake. Everyone that's here was meant to be here. Uh, and I'm going to pass it over to Keith. And I think Yvonne, Sarah, and Chris, you guys are the hosts, so I didn't go to y'all. But Keith, if you want to share your takeaway, and then the rest of the three hosts can kind of share theirs. Well, thanks, Mark, for being here. Um, I don't know if there's another Keith in here, but <laughs> I, I would love to have tea with you. That, <laughs> okay. That's my takeaway is I, I'm, yeah, I'm buying Witch's Stone here, and I, I want to sip tea with you. So I hope I hope we can connect. Yeah, follow me on social media, LinkedIn, and we'll schedule a Zoom tea date. Love it. Sarah, take it away. I, I, I hijacked your, your meeting. Sorry, I'm done. So Sarah and me? Yvonne and Chris. Actually, this is my preferred thing because you get to say what you wanted to say and everybody else got to talk too. So yeah. I'll just yeah. say for me, I like the disability first versus people first language and asking people which way they would like to be referred to. I appreciated that. And my other thing is I would love to bottle the feeling in this room right now um, so that I can remember that every time I speak, it needs to be like this at the end. So mm. I, I also want to actually just buy your tea. I don't, I mean, I'll drink it if you want, but I want to buy it. So that's what's up. Anyway, okay. Chris. <laughs> Chris. Yeah. Um, well, first, Mark, thank you again for coming to lead and speaking and sharing your story and just um, as you were speaking um, and talking about being unapologetically authentic, I know that Yvonne's heart was uh, jumping for joy. Um, so there's that. Um, and really just being reminded of, um, you know, people who know me, this people first mentality, right? Like really just listening to individuals and understanding their own preferences and who they are and, and keeping them uh, in mind first to get to know them. Um, absolutely. It was what stood out to me. So Mark, thank you again. And yes, I think I speak on behalf of all of us, um, here in lead, um, that this has been absolutely incredible and amazing. So thank you again. Yeah. Thank you. Yvonne, you want to close this out? 
<laughs> oh my gosh. So um, Chris hit the nail on the head. Of course, I am absolutely elated and overjoyed um, that I have another kindred, unapologetically authentic soul. Um, you took it to new heights tonight, I would say for me. Um, your, your brand, if you will, of being unapologetically authentic is so vast and so impactful that um, I, in this moment, earnestly believe that you are going to do magnificent things in the world that we are so desperately in need of um, in the society, in this space and in this time. And I just either wanna sip tea or eat popcorn on the sidelines or dance in the street with you while you do it, so. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet of you. That was beautiful. Thank you. I can't cry. I have to put makeup on. It'd be a mess. So thank you. Thank y'all. I know we're over time. So thank you everyone for staying with me in that extra seven minutes. And thank you to the lead organizers for the invite. Um, thank you. Be well, everyone. Follow me on social media. I'll follow you back. Absolutely. Thank you, Carly, for being so brave. I really appreciate it. And next week we have Michelle Olivier speaking. She is an HR disruptor, kind of a, I left HR because I hate it. And I want to talk about hiring practices and how discriminatory they are. So she's, she's definitely towards, towards the extreme, but um, I think we all need to hear it because uh, hiring practices right now are killing us. So um, I want to thank everybody for being here, uh, and I am so happy to see your smiling faces. Yes, you too, Lauren Yee. I see that smile. I see it. All right. All right. Good night, everyone. Have a good night. Good night. Be well. Thank you again for tuning into this special episode on the Leading People First podcast. We hope you can join us next time live as we come together to learn, activate, and empower to make a difference in the world. Again, we meet every Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific. You can find the group and next event on LinkedIn. If you'd like more information, feel free to reach out to me directly. All of the group information as well as my own is in the show notes. Don't forget to click that subscribe button to hear more of our conversations moving forward and share this episode. We're so excited that you've joined us in this movement. Let's go out into the world and lead together. Stay awesome.